Good morning. So you're probably wondering how this is going to go, and so am I, but we'll get there, figure it out. <laughs> are we going to continue with what Pastor Burgraff was teaching since we're in here, or are we going to continue with what I was teaching? And since I'm down there, I'm not down there, I'm in here with the people who were down there and would be down there, but they're over here. And so I don't know either. But <laughs> no, what we're going to do is we're going to more or less continue on with what we're doing over in the other room, over in the study in Genesis. I've skipped over a particular section that we're dealing with there. And you might understand why I've skipped over it because I need a whole lot of time to study about it. It has to do with Melchizedek. So <laughs> I have no, uh, no compunction about taking my time getting to Melchizedek. It's a very complicated teaching, as you might understand. And besides all of that, since I knew I was going to be here for one Sunday school hour, I decided that if I'm skipping over Melchizedek and maybe even a few little details where we were back in chapter 18 of Genesis, that we could go ahead to one story, if you will, one narrative, and just kind of try to focus in on that today. It's a part of our study over there, but it's not. We usually kind of go a little more verse by verse close to that, and so I'm skipping around a little bit, but we're going to take this idea, this event, if you will, uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment. I put up there judgment and a big object lesson. (laughs) Do you like object lessons? They, they, They make things clear, don't they? You can see things that sometimes it's hard to understand if you're just trying to contemplate it and think about it. Well, God has given us a number of good object lessons throughout the years, and some of them have, uh, have remnants hanging around. There are things that we can go around this world and see, and if we know the background, uh, it can be very impactful to us. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon, for example? Beautiful, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful. Well, if you know... The, the, the two stories, basically, are two basic stories to, uh, as to the origin of that. You know, the one talks about, I don't know how many years, millions as far as I know, maybe, maybe more than that. I'm not a particularly a geologist or anything. But years and years and years and years and years for all of that to come from up here and dig a, this, this little bitty tiny river. It's amazing. Anyway, cutting down, 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 down through all that sediment that was already there and making this great cavern of a, of a canyon and, and you can see all of the eras and epochs and all of that stuff of the millions and millions of years in the strata as it's coming, coming down. Those of us who know the Bible story uh, know, know what the Bible teaches. We look at it and go, wow, look what the flood did. Okay, you know, we see the deposits. Uh, at one time, we see the vast movement of the waters as they come through and, and make these deposits. And sometimes in the, in, in the Grand Canyon, in that area, you'll see strata that move upward. Well, that's kind of hard to do over millions of years, you know. And so, but, it, but with a fast rushing flow of water, not so hard to, to see that happening. And so we look at it and say, wow, look what God did. And then we think back to how it all exactly happened. If you go to a place called the Dead Sea in that region of the world, uh, what is on one side Jordan, the other side Palestine, Israel, there's a lot of different things name-wise going on there, of course, these days. If you go to that region, you'll see a place that is, that is very dead. Uh, it's, it's a body of water, and it is very dead. And if, if you have a chance to visit, which I have not, but I've gone by way of that newfangled thing called the Internet, and you go and you see the pictures, and you can even go on a thing called Google Maps, and I'm sure there are other mapping programs, and you can see satellite image of the place, and you can see 
you can tell a lot. I mean, you're not there on the ground, but you can tell a lot by it. And uh, we're gonna, we'll see a picture of some of that as we go through this. All of that to say that's a huge object lesson right out there in the middle of that part of the world. A huge object lesson for us. The judgment of God fell. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and get this right out of the way and then we'll re- refer back to it. Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, have been uh, related to, and rightfully so, a particular sin. It's one that has taken on the name of one of those cities, in fact. We hear the word sodomy, and it comes from, of course, the name of the city of Sodom. It has come to mean homosexual relationships, all right? It didn't start that way. It wasn't that it was named Sodom because they were committing sodomy. It's it's the other way around. So the people have taken the name Sodom and used it as sodomy to, to describe that particular sin. My issue with that is there was a whole lot of other stuff going on too there. That was one. It was a bad one. All right. I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, pull any punches about it. Uh, the Bible's very clear that homosexuality is a, is an abomination to God. There's no if you want to debate that, I'm the wrong guy because I just take exactly what the word says about it. The word of God says it, I take it. Now, what does that mean? It means it's a bad sin. <laughs> There are others. There are plenty of others. And they're all very bad. And all sin, in fact, we know is bad. Right? Which sin is not so bad? Okay. (laughs) Remember what James says about that, right? If you transgress the law, and that transgression means stepping over the line, in one point... All right, I'm here at my temptation, whatever it might be, okay, and I transgress. Sounds sort of like trespass, doesn't it? It's in that family of things. If I transgress the law of God, I step over to the wrong side. It doesn't matter whether I did it here or down there with homosexuality or down there with murder. I mean, socially and, and, and of course, consequentially in this world and different things. There can be different differences of consequence, obviously. But my stepping over of the line, James says, I'm guilty of the whole thing anyway. It doesn't matter. If I just had a problem with lying and I transgressed, I've broken the entire law of God. So we want to condemn homosexuality, sure, as much as the Bible does. All right? And we need to be careful, of course, that we don't get ridiculous about it. And, and I think a lot of people with the whole idea of sodomy based on this, this narrative, this story in the Bible, uh, take it to, to, a, to a certain extreme. And, and we have to be biblical in these things. Um, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about as, as that as we go along. All right. We have the two cities here. There are actually five cities mentioned altogether as we get through the story. Um, and um, one of them is where Lot ends up fleeing to. A lot of you know this story well. So what actually happened here? Let's, let's take, a, take a look at some of the things that actually happened. First of all, we find Jehovah indicts. Jehovah God, that's his real name, in case you're wondering why I'm using the word Jehovah. That's his personal name, all right? Uh, I'm not talking about some other God. I'm not talking about some particular religion. Uh, Jehovah is his personal name, and Jehovah brings an indictment. He comes into the court of his holiness, and he indicts the people of these cities. These these cities are are called the cities of the plains of of Jordan. They're called the well-watered plains of Jordan. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit, too. And so there in chapter 18, we find God's indictment against these folks down in verses 20 and 21. In, in the whole picture here, the, there's some men, uh, men 
some folks who've shown up at Abraham's tent flap, and and uh, we we believe, I believe, pretty strongly that uh, one of them is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I'm not going to fight over that that question either. If you don't agree with that, that's fine. They're called men. They're called angels. They're called a number of different things. But it also says the Lord, and it uses the term here uh, that that we know uh, that that is Jehovah Himself. And the only way that I know that Jehovah appears to people and they're not dead is in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Again, these things you can disagree with, but I'll just throw them out there for you. So Jehovah here indicts the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 20. And the Lord said, behold, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. So he's giving them the opportunity to prove to him in his court of holiness that they are not what he knows they are. Obviously, he knows everything, but, but he, he, he is that way. He's merciful. He gives people a chance. And so he's going to go himself and in this uh, Christophany form, in this form of Jesus Christ, as far as I can tell. And uh, there, he, he and another one of these, there's, there's four that appear here, three or four, depending on your interpretation of what's said, but I believe it's probably four. And, and end up, two of them end up in the city of Sodom. Likely the other two went on to Gomorrah. We don't know for sure. These things I just read in, it doesn't really matter. We know for sure that two of them ended up in Sodom. And uh, But what's their purpose in going down there? To present the indictment of God against them and give them an opportunity to repent. God always does that. And some people will say, wait a minute, it's a grievous sin. <laughs> yeah, they were full of grievous sins. They were messed up. They were in bad shape. No question about it. And, and I've actually heard, and I hope you haven't, I've heard preaching to the effect that, first of all, the obvious sin of those places was the sin of homosexuality. Well, that does show up in the narrative. We do see that sin manifesting itself. But right here, even in the wording that we find in the indictment of God, there's no indication that that's the only thing we're talking about. He doesn't mention that. We find out about it when the two men get there, that this was at least a part of their debauchery. All right? But right here he doesn't say, I'm going there because they are committing homosexuality or whatever word you wanted to use there. And that's why we're going there. That was not the indictment in and of itself. Why do I keep harping on that? Like I say, I've heard preaching to the effect that, even to the effect that, okay, first of all, that was their sin, period. And I think that's wrong to go there. And the second thing was, I've actually heard preaching that says that that folks who are uh, homosexuals cannot even be saved. Okay. Don't limit my God, please. All right? I, I, I just don't, I don't have that. I, I, don't, I don't listen to that kind of stuff. What, there's only one sin that God says will not be forgiven. Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And I'm not going to get into that whole picture right now. But if, if you can tell me with absolute certainty that homosexuality is, blasph- is the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, okay, we'll, we'll discuss that. But that's, that's not, it's not the case. It's just not the case. So can that sin even be forgiven? Of course it can. Of course, is it sin? Yes, it's sin. Is it an abomination to the Lord? Yes, it is. Can it be forgiven? Yes, it can. What needs to be our attitude about it? The same is towards every sin. And God indicts it here, and yet he goes with the possibility of those folks repenting. He goes to them with his indictment. All right. 
What happens as we continue on? Abraham intercedes here in the same chapter, in chapter 18. Abraham begins to look at the situation as well. And Abraham takes an attitude. Now, you can't tell me Abraham didn't know what was going on there. There's no way that he doesn't know. A lot of things have transpired to let us be absolutely certain that Abraham has a pretty good handle on what's going on over there. His nephew, Lot, is there now. His nephew, Lot, and he split up. Because there was just not enough pasture for all the sheep for both sides. They were both growing and prospering and things got conflicting. And uh, as they sat there and, and tried to figure out where they were, how they were going to divide this up and how they were going to split up so as not to cause contention, Abraham took the, the high road as, uh, as, uh, as a wonderful testimony, took the high road. He said, uh, Lot, check it out. Look out there before you. You pick the direction you want to go. And the Bible says, Lot looked toward the well-watered plains of Jordan, which were over towards the eastern side of the dead, what is now the Dead Sea. Again, if you look on the satellite images of that area of the world, you are probably not going to define it as a well-watered plain. There is a section in the southern part, we'll take a look at it in a little bit, but there's a section in, b- below the Dead Sea that's been fairly well irrigated, but I mean, they've had to work hard to make anything grow there. The place is dead. So something happened. It was a well-watered plain. There, were, uh, there was lush vegetation. There was the ability to grow things uh, before this moment, and something radical changed. Abraham knows what's going on there. He has... Uh, he's, he's been there. Uh, the people of Sodom were, were taken captive and his, his nephew was along with them. And this is all shortly before this takes place. And he had to go and rescue them and he brought them back. And, and, and they went right back into Sodom and all of that. I mean, he, he's been there. He's seen what's going on. Again, if we take it back, and I, and I hate to harp on this, but I'll go a little bit longer on it. Uh, if, we, if we take it as the only sin they had was the sin of homosexuality, and obviously that is not true, but let's say that was the only thing going on. Uh, Abraham gives us an interesting example here. Even he pleads for God not to destroy them. All right? Let's read and see what it says. Verses, let's start in verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be, that be far from thee to do after this manner. To slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked. Uh, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Whoa. This is kind of bold, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to God and... <sighs> I don't know how to describe it, you know? Would you have the nerve to go to God in this way? Would I? I think we should be able to. And I don't think there's any disrespect in this. I think that Abraham knew enough of the character of God... That when he hears of the indictment and hears of what's going to happen because of the indictment, the punishment's coming, his heart is touched with, does that really sound like God to me? You know, Does it really sound like something God would do? And I don't think he's judging God, necessarily. He's just stating, this is, this is what I understand of God. God has been so righteous. Has, has Abraham had any sin in his life up to this point? number of things you can think back through where he lied about his wife being his sister and i mean there have been some problems 
And what was God's response to that? You're done, Abraham. I'm casting you out. No. He was forgiven. He's seen the character of God. He's seen the forgiving nature of God. What he's not taking into account here, apparently, is the omniscience of God. <laughs> that God knows exa- more than Abraham what's really going on over there, you see. So he's taking one part of God's character, rightfully so, and God does not condemn him for doing this. I find that interesting. This should be another lesson for Abraham. should be another lesson for us as well. We take what we know and we kind of, you know, we go there. Abraham did. He's like, I know God's a forgiving God. It does, God, it doesn't sound like you. You're gonna, if there's 50 righteous people there, are you going to kill the whole place with them included? Does that even, that doesn't sound like you. And so he knows something about God, rightfully. But then he has these other things that he's kind of not piecing into the picture. And it doesn't sound like us sometimes too. We would pick that one thing. God is this. And we don't factor in all the other things that God is. And Abraham apparently does that. God does not uh, abrade him for it. And Abraham continues on it. In fact, God says, sure. Okay. Right. Um, Verse 25, that be far from thee. And uh, verse 26, and the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous, then I'll spare them. I'll spare the whole place for them. And Abraham said, "Um, (laughs) I've taken it upon myself here to speak to the Lord. God, please don't, you know, get mad at me here. But if if there's just 45, and he goes down to 40, and then he goes down to 30, and down to 20, and finally he gets down to 10. And God said, sure. Again, the omniscience of God. God knows how many righteous people there are in Sodom. He knows the number. And he knows that it's less than 10. So he can be gracious with Abraham here still. Say, okay, Abraham, if I find 10, we'll cut this thing off. That's fine. And Abraham decides that he's gone as far as he dares. <laughs> and and I, I don't know all that he's thinking, but he stops at 10. I, I mean, I would guess he's thinking, surely there'll be 10. You know, what an indictment upon the place that there were not ten. All right. So we have Abraham's intercession for his family, and yet he included. We could we could stop with the family, but he did not have fifty family members in Sodom. So when he started with the number fifty, he was including a lot of people that were not in his family, and he still is being trying to be merciful towards them, trying to show love towards them, trying to help them not be condemned and destroyed. All right? A good lesson for us as well. Sodom then invites God's judgment. Sodom invites God's judgment. <sighs> the two angels of the Lord, again, exactly who we have here uh, is, is, is some question. It doesn't really matter. Uh, they are the spokesman of the Lord. If it's not the Lord himself, all these things combined. But two of them show up at the city of Sodom. And uh, Sodom has an opportunity to repent. It says in verse 19, There came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold, now my lords, turn in, I pray you, this is Lot speaking, uh, into the, your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly 
and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, come past the house around, both old and, old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. So how much they know about these two men, we're not sure. But again, Abraham has saved this city from being in captivity. Uh, they, they have a connection somehow in all of this. All exactly how much they know, we don't know. But it just kind of smacks of they had a pretty good idea uh, what was going on here. And I'm, I'm assuming that there has been something said. I have to make assumptions on that. But they, they just show themselves. The bottom line is they just show who they are. They show themselves to be debauched men. They just... Here's the thing. We can, we can focus on the homosexuality all we want. It was a huge part of what was going on. But these people just wanted what they wanted. I mean, that's the bottom line. They wanted whatever they wanted. We call that hedonism. They were hedonists. They lived for their own pleasure. Whatever area you want to put that pleasure into, that was what they lived for. And here we find them willing to go to extreme measures to satisfy their desires. Didn't care who they were. Didn't care who they were, uh, who they were associated with. Just didn't care. We want them. We will have them. And that just seems to show who they were uh, in a much broader sense. And so they invite the judgment. Isn't that sad? Whatever the sin is, you can um, be indicted about it, know that you have the sin, and then possibly someone uh, intercedes on your behalf. There's one who definitely has stepped into the place between you and the wrath of God, didn't he? And then there comes the decision point. You You have the opportunity to be saved from it. But you have to decide whether you're going to invite the forgiveness of God or if you're going to invite his judgment upon you. Don't point your finger at God. Nobody nobody can point their finger at God. The book of Romans talks about in in chapter 1 that when people get to that certain point... And yes, homosexuality is involved in the, in, the, in the discussion there too. But when people get to a certain point, uh, it, it's like, we don't want to know. We'll make up our own rules. We'll make up our own law. We don't need you, God. That's what these people are doing. They've decided. They've decided what they want. And we'll see what God will do about that. But they invited by doing so the judgment of God. And God does two things. He imputes both their sin upon them and... What's strange to us is God also imputes righteousness to Lot. We'll have to talk about that a little bit here in a moment. We've talked about it some back in our Sunday school class. In Second Peter, we're going, to, we're going to look at the passage here in a moment, but in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses a word to describe Lot. Anybody remember what his title was? Blank lot. Just lot. That doesn't mean only lot. That means righteous lot. And here he is. (laughs) Here he is in this mess. All right? He's in a... We don't think... We we just... We wouldn't think of lot as being a just man, as being a righteous man. 
It has to do with God's imputing righteousness to him. Uh, and, and, of course, we know that God has already imputed the sin of those people to themselves because they have had opportunity to repent and would not do so. Uh, the imputation idea, we have that in Abraham himself. Uh, we find in Genesis chapter 15, he believed in the Lord and he, he, God, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. The righteousness that Abraham had was because of his faith in God. He believed what God said. He took a stand on what God had said. Instead of saying, I'll make up the rules, I'll make up my own law, he said, oh, God said this, okay, that's where we're going. All right? Romans 4 3 brings it back up to skin. What, what saith the scripture, referring back to Genesis? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was imputed to him, it was put onto his account. Not that Abraham became this perfect person, never sinning again. We know that's not true. But God gave his righteousness to Abraham. That's the imputation, that's the counting of righteousness, of justness, if you will. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, very clearly talking about what Jesus did for us. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All right? Imputation. So when we talk about Lot being a just man, it's not because everything he did was right, or even probably most of what he did was right, but that somewhere along the line he had believed God for his forgiveness of sin and for his his righteousness. We don't have all the details in the life of Lot. We have other examples like, for example, in, uh, in Abraham himself. Judgment then is initiated based on their unrepentant nature. Not based on the fact that they had sinned or that they were sinners necessarily. That's obviously a big part of what's going on. But here they have not repented of that. They have refused to hear of that. And the judgment of God falls upon them beginning in, uh, we'll look at beginning in verse, uh, we're going to go 24. And the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. All right, you see the picture here of the Dead Sea and the area around it not being that way until now? That's what's happening here. All right. Uh, yeah. I want to make sure I'm in the right place again. All right. <laughs> he overthrew in verse 25 those cities, all the plain inhabitants, and that which grew up on the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him. She became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld. And lo, the smoke of the, of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. The judgment of God fell. The judgment of God fell. Uh, just to get an idea of what exactly is going on here, uh, I find it very interesting. Again, I talked about the flood a little bit, talked about the Grand Canyon. There's a whole lot, lot of other evidences that, that what happened was a calamity, was a catastrophe, was a huge moment, a catastrophic moment, and not some process of millions or billions of years. Uh, the, the death of the Dead Sea is 
obviously the same kind of thing. And even unsaved, un, uh, unbelieving uh, um, geologists will tell you there was a cataclysm. There was a moment where this, they, they, they may not know a whole lot about what was there before, but they know for sure that there was, it was not always like it is now. Uh, in that region of the world, this happens to be in Iran, there are these things called salt domes. And these things, I'm learning some of this, okay? These things indicate where there probably are oil reserves under the ground as well. All of this, if you go back and study it real deeply, you'll find it points back to the flood in a lot of ways. I'm not going to get into all that right now. But these places are salt and, and other, other chemicals, but they call them salt domes. There's a lot of salt-type materials in there. And they, from time to time, are subject to an earthquake and an eruption of some sort. And usually it's not on a huge scale in this day and time. But we've seen a little bit of this. Uh, most of you here will remember images from some of the Gulf War situations. Do you remember all of those oil fields out there on fire? And the smoke, the denseness of the smoke. Well, these things were mostly in places where there had been a salt dome. They had found oil. They had drilled down and found the oil. And as that oil comes up, if it gets ignited, man, there's all kinds of stuff burning there. It's not just oil or gas that's burning. There's just all sorts of chemical things going on in the air. And we know that there are people, we know some of our own uh, military have had issues because of that smoke. It's not just because of oil and gas smoke. That would be bad enough at the moment. That would be a problem for you at the moment. But when you throw into all these other chemicals, what we would call sulfur, and there's a lot of different names and all of these things involved that I don't even remember all of the details of. But uh, these chemicals in the air and getting into the lungs of people can cause serious problems. So there's, there's all of this going on. Now, why does God do this way? I don't know. Did God need an earthquake and a salt dome and an oil field and, and all of this stuff to, ter- to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and all those cities? He did, did he need that? No. Obviously not. Did he need a flood to wipe out humanity? No. The God who spoke into creation all of the, all of the things that we see around us could have done the very same thing to destroy human life or whatever it was he wanted to destroy. But for some reason, his own reason, he uh, uses natural things in the earth. Uh, it it appears... Now, now look... I can't say with 100% certainty that what I'm saying is what happened. There was a big earthquake and the eruption and the fire from that. And I, it just, the geologists think that's what happened. Even the unbelieving geologists think that what, that's what happened. But they think it happened probably millions of years ago. There are theories about a comet hitting the earth, a meteor, a meteor hitting the earth. Uh, all, most of them will go to something like a huge earthquake because guess what? Right down at the southern part of the Dead Sea, there's a huge earthquake fault. <laughs> How about that? And salt domes all over the place. And all of the conditions there apparently are just perfect for something like this to happen. And it just happened to happen when God told Abraham it was going to. Coincidence, right? Yeah, the flood came through basically through natural things for the most... They're all natural. Some of them pushed along supernaturally. But the final effects were natural effects. People drowned. People were killed in earthquakes and eruptions coming up out of the earth. All of this happened because God's... And, and, and it happened on the day that God told Noah it was going to happen. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of coincidences here, you know. Why, why does God do it this way? I, I just... I can only speculate a little bit. Again, here, we're, here we are with the object lessons, Right? 
things for us to see, things for us to learn from, things for us to remember. Here is a satellite picture of that area. We have the Dead Sea. Look at all the lush greenery around there. <laughs> There's a little section. <laughs> if I can make this thing work, I've never done this before. All right. There we go. This little section down in here has been irrigated with wells and things of that nature. And then over here is, well, no. And let's see. Back on the other side. I can't make this work right. Anyway, this is too fancy for me. All right, back up. There we go. There we go. It's a new pointer. All right, so back over on the other side. I mean, there's nothing except for where they've really worked hard to irrigate it. And by the way, from what I've read, it's not working very well. They're they're getting it done, but it's just it's not cost efficient. It's just too hard to do in that area. Why? Because there's just salt and chemicals and 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 all these different uh, minerals everywhere that. you want to kill your, your weeds in your garden or whatever? Salt, right? I mean, if the, if the place is covered in that kind of stuff, you're not going to grow anything. It's just not going to happen. And so this, and like, as I said, the, even the unbelieving geologists and such say that this was not the case before. Somewhere before, they don't know when, but somewhere before this was not the case. Well, we know when and we know why. And God said, that's enough of this area. Goodbye. And we know that all of this happened. The cities were destroyed. And uh, Lot is led by the hand out of the city with part of his family. Part of his family. All right. Just to give you some more idea of the, what the area looks like, the Dead Sea itself, some of the things that are going on around it. Uh, some people will claim that the one up there on the upper right is actually Lot's wife. I'm dead, you know. That's a lot of speculation, whatever, but kind of interesting looking anyway. But there are a lot of these sort of uh, things around that area. They also, also the, the bottom part, let me back up to that other shot there. The bottom area of the Dead Sea where you see it has kind of a, 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 a part of land sticking inside it. Uh, those two areas sticking down are very, very shallow, right? They're like some places they say you can wade across. It's that shallow. Uh, when you get up farther north, it's quite deep. And so something changed in all of this. Some, something in the geology here changed pretty radically. All right. So what, what did all, what, what, why did all of this happen? Why did it happen to those cities? Why did it happen to the cities of the plain? First of all, because of the dimension of their sin. Their sin was just huge. I mean, come on. It was just... And it was at a time where... God was dealing individually. God was dealing with certain groups of people. Um, the nation of Israel as we know it is in its infancy. God took some drastic measures here at this period of time, without a doubt. With such a horrible sin problem, could we expect anything less than a great judgment? I mean, with such a... The hedonism was such, it was so deep. It was, I will do what I will do. I don't care what anyone, even God, says. The better question, though, I think, would be, why don't we see such judgment now? <laughs> I, you know, I just have to go to the mercy of God, seriously. Uh, we see horrible things happening around us. We see uh, a particular politician and others, but one in particular, not too far away from us, calling for... Uh, allowing a baby to die if it survives an abortion, things of that nature. You just, you can't even imagine 
someone would, would contemplate, you know? And it's growing. And it's, I, I don't know why we haven't been destroyed other than just the grace and mercy of God. It's, it's his plan. Whatever his plan is, I certainly can't understand it when I look back on a, on a place like this. And if you want to condemn Sodom and Gomorrah, we'll talk about that a little bit. We do. And again, going back to the whole homosexual thing again, I've had some homosexual friends in my life. Um, I didn't go seek them out necessarily, but I've come in contact with them here or there. And we've developed some sort of uh, friendship along the way. And I, I've always tried to witness to them. I've not, never been successful in bringing one to the Lord to this point that I know of. But we've had good discussions. And yet I didn't treat them as, any, as, in, as if they were any other kind of uh, sinner other than just a sinner. Obviously, I don't like what they do. It bothers me terribly. But at the same time, I, who am I to single out one sin? You know, I, I got to look down in here if I want to want to start judging sin. I got to look up in here and see if there's a huge beam when I start judging somebody else. You know, I realize that's about my brother and all of that. I get it, but the principle's still there. I still am a sinner as well. All right, why did all this happen to the city of the plain? We understand that pretty much. Why did this happen to Lot and his family? Again, talked about to the fact that in Second in Peter, we see the words just lot. Let's read those. For if God spared not the angels of sin, but cast them down into hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, and condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, <laughs> vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. It was hitting him somehow. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the un- unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So why did it happen? Uh, so many things that each of us can take in individually. Why did it happen to Lot and his family? Uh, they, there are some, there's some pretty clear reasons why specifically this happened to Lot and his family. We know that. Um, we know that Lot had to leave a place he never should have been. Never should have been there. You know the story. We talked about how he split off with Abraham. And when he did, he, the Bible says he looked and he, he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. And he had a little touch of hedonism right there. <laughs> he had a little touch of that selfishness right there. And without consulting with Abraham as to what he would like, without even what he really should have done, deferring to him as the elder, as the patriarch of his family system, without any of that, he just says, I'll go over there. Looks good. Do we ever fall into traps like that? Do we ever fall into seeing something and saying, that looks really good. I'm going there. You're going to have to apply that to your own situation. But I think we do that a lot. You're right. Am I right? Do we, not do, do we walk sometimes by sight? Do we? Something might look good. Well, that must be a blessing from God. Hang on. <laughs> He's been offered the well-watered plain, well plains of Jordan. He's been given that opportunity. We know now hindsight's real good. We know that was not the right choice to make. <laughs> but do we not do the same thing many times. We know that the Bible says he went over there and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. I mean, he's just, he's like out there somewhere looking at it. Oh, 
Have you ever wanted something really bad and got fixated over it and just kept looking and looking and looking and looking? You know you have. Go past that good-looking car. You know it's well out of your budget. Well, I'll just stop by one more time and take another look. It's just so pretty. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm going to my own sins here. Right? <laughs> it's a lot of different things, isn't it? Well, I'll just take another look. I'll just go by one more time. You know, if it's still there this time, <laughs> maybe I'll... And you begin to not care if there's any other place, any other decision-making to be done here. I've seen it. I like it. I want it. I'll figure out a way. <laughs> and there's Lot. With his tent now pitched towards Sodom itself and something attracted him even on in. I don't know. Maybe he get, got tired of the Bedouin lifestyle. <laughs> Maybe he got tired of shepherding per se. Well, I've got a lot of sheep and, you know, I'm a wealthy man. What am I doing out here tending sheep? I'll just get me a foreman. Move my family into the city where it's more comfortable. Where we have better conditions. Sounds right, doesn't it? Some of us would probably say that must be the will of God if it's that good. If it's that good, it must be the will of God. And somehow he ended up actually in the city. He was in the world and of the world. He got in we don't know where all the transitions came in, but we know where it started. <laughs> and eventually it got to the point where he was actually at least tolerating everything and just being so, you know, liberal-minded about it. And I can't really say anything against them, because, you know. And what happened? He actually ended up sitting in the gate, which means he was a part of the system, the governing System That was where the men would come to discuss the business of the city and try to make decisions and things. He'd gotten that far in. His sons-in-law, we find out later, we won't go for time now to read it all. You know the story anyway. His, his, his own sons-in-law just looked at him when he, he came to them and, and he said, We've got to go, guys. The angels are here. They're telling us the city's going to be destroyed. Let's go. Get my daughters up and let's get out of here. And they just looked at him and went, Right, old man. You're crazy. <laughs> what makes you think... What, how, how did his sons-in-law not have the respect for him to listen to him? How did his own daughters not intervene or whatever they, they needed to do in this moment and get up and go with their father who's told them? The angels of God are here saying the city's going to be destroyed. They would not listen. Somehow he had failed to influence his family the way he should have. It's so bad that they have to leave them behind. Now, check this out. This is just, this is besides anything, but let's see. If we added it up, they take two daughters with them. I'm not going to read it all, but they take two daughters with them that are still in their house. That's Lot, his wife, two daughters. That's four. Okay, two other daughters. That's six. Let's see. Uh, the sons-in-law, seven, eight. We're closing in on ten people right there. If we could at least get that many. If we could at least get to that point, all we need is one or two other people that we've influenced towards God. And maybe this city can be saved because God said he would. Can't even get that. Can't even get his whole family. Not only that. 
When the men come, Lot's mentality is so messed up that he tries to keep them from sinning, avoiding one sin. By committing another one himself, he offers his own virgin daughters to them so that they'll leave these men of God alone, these angels alone. He is so messed up in his thinking. He's a righteous man according to God. He is right before God in his standing. He is a, what we would call a saved person. But he still has had his mind messed up because of being not only in the world, but being fully of the world, integrated into it. Sin is a no-win scenario. You can't win with it. You just, you're not going to fix it by doing this or that. The only thing you can do is repent of it, turn your back on it, walk away from it. That's the only way to go. He ends up losing his own wife. Obviously, her heart was not in going. Obviously, she was already so far into... She, and again, the old children's Sunday school stories, you know, we think about she turned, and because she turned, God, she's sort of like in the movies would be turned into stone or whatever, you know, salt, pull her salt. Probably the, the, the more likely scenario, and again, I can't prove 100%, but the more likely scenario, and it, ha- it has to do a lot with the, the language here. It says when she looked back, that idea is to look back with longing, that the idea of my mind is there, I'm going to go there anyway. She probably ran back towards the city, got too close <laughs> to the destruction that was going on. What was she doing? Trying to save her daughters? I don't know. Just uh, thinking, maybe it won't be complete. Maybe I'll still be able to, you know, have my house. And, and, and Lot's crazy. He's lost his mind. I don't know. We don't know. But what we know is that she turned back, that her mind was already there. Her heart was already back there. And she, for some reason, turned back and was turned into a pillar of stone. She couldn't believe behind her daughters. And the question begs itself. We don't want to think about this. <laughs> Can family ever... Give us a problem in obeying God. We love family. We should love family. Very important to us. But have family influences ever caused us to go against the truth of God? I think it happens. God, Jesus said it doesn't work that way. We know what this means. It doesn't mean literally like we think of hating the father and mother. But if the comparison there is, if the, if the decision there is, I'm going to follow God or I'm going to follow my parents or I'm going to follow my children. I'm going to follow whomever it is, even if they're family I'm not going to be a disciple of Christ if I do that. What good is it? Whatever you get out of it, what good is it if you lose your soul? Ultimately, she lost everything, even her whole life. We take away about God real quickly. God is sovereign over his creation. He caused this to happen. God speaks. He told Abraham... Lot was informed. The people of Sodom had an opportunity. God is supernatural. He's the creator of the natural and has, uh, has to be beyond the natural. He is not what we are. And God does save. These are simple takeaways about us. We need to stop longing for the world. We don't step out of it. Unfortunately for us, we're in it. But my soul, people, we can't have our minds in it and can't be longing for it and allowing it to be our... Dis- you cannot be walking by sight and be a disciple of Christ. The decisions have to be made on faith, which is not some blind leap into the darkness, but it is the belief, the firm, solid conviction that what God says is right and is always right, no matter what I think, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel. Those things don't matter. Not God being so selfish, that's not what I meant. (laughs) Stop being so selfish is what I meant to say there. Hedonism 
wanting so badly and we need to rest in God. We just need to let him be God. We need to let him make the decisions and say, I don't understand some of this. This feels good. I like this. But you know what? God had something to say about it. Look at the Dead Sea. Just take a look over at the Dead Sea. Take a look at all of these object lessons that God gives us, things that are around us, so many things around us that explain to us what is really and truly important. We have decisions that we have to make about it. Some of our decisions can lead to destruction, and other of our decisions can lead to a peaceful and restful life in the will of God, in the arms of God, in his place. All right? Thank you very much. We'll see you in a little bit.